welcome back, and uh, we exist still. Hello! Some say me, some say you. I don't know who they are, but I appreciate them. What's this Dr. Seuss opening you're doing here? There is no Seuss. Some say Seuss, some say Cease. Do the Mises Meese? Is, okay. And if there are three, are they threes? Oh, okay. I I got nothing for this, man. (laughs) I'm guiding this boat, and I don't even know where I'm going. Hey, you know, sometimes we walk into the woods, and this time you 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 walked me into the woods. Look, I opened with uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, and I expected it to end there, and then all of a sudden I had the reins of the boat, and um, I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for any of this. Hey, it's good. It's good. You, getting uh, some practice in a leadership role, I think, is good for your resume, and it allows you to... <laughs> I'll write this down on a resume. I started a podcast a handful of times. Like, I started the episode. I started it with Mrs. Doubtfire, and I started it with a bad Dr. Seuss rhyme. Look, sometimes lies of omission are okay. Being on the podcast, that's that's the true fact that you say. Everything else, you leave that out. Mm. Its name, leave it out. What you did, <laughs> leave it out. Where were you? On a podcast. In fact, leave out the <laughs> podcast in general. Say you were a part of a... Uh, a multimedia um, enterprise that was ah. that existed on the internet for multiple years and reached an audience of uh, fourteen thousand people. That's yeah. what that's what Facebook analytics told me at one point. <laughs> at least that's I'd like how to see. Peop- <laughs> I'd like to see the math on that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the the math checked out too well. I think that's just like how many people they that had a. Uh, I did like an ad space for for like a week just to see like what it would do. I was like, oh, we put it in front of fourteen thousand people. I was like, oh, man, ten bucks gets you far. How many people directly scrolled right past our our ad for this? Oh, all of them. <laughs> Every single one of them, <laughs> except for you, listener. Except for you, you stayed. And, and we thank you for that. <laughs> Notice I said listener singular one you uh, the one person. This is our no. space cast. The space cast. Anthony, how are you doing this week? I am doing good. Uh, there are ways to do better, but you know what? I'm okay with where I'm at. Mm. I'm in the same boat. There are ways okay. to do better, like if I got a scratch off and it had a million dollars on it, but you know. Mm. I, I, yeah, you, I don't, I don't control it. those fates. If I could sail to an island that had like these like old witches on it who were fighting over an eye and i came to them and i was like i want to scratch off and they gave me the eye and they were like ah look into your fate i'm like vaguely remembering how this greek myth goes so please correct me at any moment because i'm probably getting it horribly wrong honestly i was just entertained and uh, (laughs) i'm glad you went there because speaking of the greeks uh the byzantines and speaking of the byzantines age of empires 2 Hold on, the fates weren't Byzantine <laughs> myths. Hold on, I'm stopping your transition dead in its tracks. <laughs> no, Age of Empires. This is something um, I think we've actually touched on briefly in a previous episode, but you were like uh, still playing through it. So yeah. you, you, you've been talking about that a lot lately. Have you had more experience with it? Do you feel like you're in a more complete space? You know what? I think I've, I've kind of realized why I had enjoyed Age of Empires 2. And why it no longer feels as good as it used to. Mm. Because I was shit at world building before. (laughs) Like empire building or? Well, see, what I enjoyed about Age of Empires 2 is the fact that you can just kind of build your own kind of scenarios. And you can uh, basically build like cool cities and such like that. And I really enjoyed that when I was a kid. And I was okay with the combat. I, I wasn't really like into the uh competitive i wasn't trying to be competitive with it i wasn't trying to get like to the fastest strats uh, i wanted to make a cool looking city that, mm-hmm. that's how i played age of empires too and tried to uh make myself survive and such yeah you know and, hmm? oh you go, go ahead no you go okay 
Um, but yeah, it, it just kind of came down to me um, realizing that I no longer like this game for the reasons that I did before. Now, I do enjoy it now because I understand how the how, how it, the sausage is made, essentially. And it's cool how the sausage is made for Age of Empires 2. Hmm. <laughs> How is the sausage made? Uh, I don't. I don't think I can really explain that well. Uh, just like how strategies and such. But I've been like looking at how the play Age of Empires two and how like you know you be more competitive with it, and it's made me realize that I enjoy watching it a bit. But I absolutely have zero interest in ever actually doing it myself. Mm. Because it's the type of combat that is in the game, the type of gameplay that it has, is just not appealing to me anymore do you think it's the empire management do you think it's the combat do you think it's it's definitely the empire management also i i don't think i really enjoy the combat too much either Hmm. um because one of the main reasons i enjoyed it in the past is because it it kind of ticked off that creative niche that i had itch or whatever when i was younger and now well i can use great editing software like gimp and i can use stuff like uh, wonder draft for map making uh and all that kind of stuff now so i kind of have my outlet for like that sort of creative stuff and i have things like uh rim like if i want to try make my own little town kind of deal like i have other games that do that thing i enjoyed in age of empires too a lot more you know, th- th- there's just better places for me to go for that at this point. You know, and I... there you go. Yeah, and I think I've realized that I enjoy games like Company Heroes too a lot more for their combat. Like for me, that's more engaging and actually interesting to play with because it's more like, okay, so how can you tactically kind of outdo this instead of just trying to directly manage your economy and you know getting that correctly out there. You know, I think you actually hit on something that I never really thought about before is I think because I, I, I don't have a ton of experience with Age of Empires 2 or honestly any of the Age of Empire games, but mm-hmm. as a whole, the RTS genre has always been a little bit weird to me. I've enjoyed it, but I haven't enjoyed it for the reasons that people usually play RTS for, which is like really competitive, like multiplayer skirmishes, people like fight, like fighting against each other, building up armies, sending them to fight. I kind of do enjoy the, like the building of a base or the building of an empire kind of feel. And I think that's kind of where I ended up eventually falling away from RTS games and falling more into management games. Like, the idea of city skylines is more exciting than, to me than, like, uh, like I don't know, like Europa Universalis kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Where, like, I'm just interested in building and maintaining a world, ma- building and maintaining an empire. And I can go to other games for combat. I think it's good that you actually mentioned Company Heroes 2, because, I mean, me and you have been playing it with other friends. And that game's combat feels nice to play, and it's all about the combat. There really isn't a whole lot of base management. Yeah. There isn't a ton exactly. of like, oh, I need to micromanage my population. Well, you, you do, but it's not as um, it's not as pronounced in a game like StarCraft or the, the Age of Empire, Age of Mythology kind of games. Um, you just kind of worry about your units, and the main focus is on the combat. Um, where... In games like Age of Empires, and my experience is definitely Age of Mythology, where it's splitting up like empire management and combat, the combat feels lackluster, and I have to I have to fight people to keep my empire building. When I'd rather just focus entirely on the empire building. So yeah. for that, I'd rather just go to a management game and just build things. Yeah, and I think that's the realization I've come to, is that the things that I enjoyed in these real-time strategy games was the base building and making cool bases and such like that, not the actual like competitive side of the game and trying to get your troops out as like fast as possible and, and such like that. 
and now uh, you can just see that there's so many more games available out there than when those games originally came out that much better uh, take care of that need for like creation and such. You can do like things like Tropico, or you can do things like RimWorld. You can do things like Minecraft. You can do games like Sim uh, SimCity or City Skylines. There's so many more different things that you can try and do that lean more on that creative aspect of what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, so I guess at the I guess I'm wondering like how are you kind of falling on Age of Empires for your personal enjoyment? It sounds like you enjoy watching it and you enjoy playing it to a degree, but it doesn't sound like you're super keen on the game right now. It doesn't. You're not telling me like, oh, I can't wait to go back and play more. Yeah, I think it's been interesting because Age of Empires 2 is a game that I thought was like really cool and I really did enjoy it when I had it. And now that like I'm starting to understand like how the different games work, right? Like for me, I don't enjoy playing Age of Empires 2 anymore at this point because it's it's frustrating to play because I understand like there's like a level of play to be at in which I'm just not there at all. And I don't really feel too interested in doing the competitive scene for Age of Empires 2. So like that that's just a fact right there. And the the minute to minute gameplay just isn't compelling enough for me to like jump straight into it. You know? Yeah, I feel you on that. Um, I mean, I felt that about a bunch of strategy games in particular, where, like, at the level most multiplayer sessions are at, I don't have a big interest in kind of getting to. And unfortunately, a lot of these RTS games in particular have such a rusted-on community that all they're doing is playing it at the highest level. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of... Um, it is kind of discouraging to go in and just get your ass handed to you and be like, well, I could spend the next 600 hours learning this game. Or I could pick up another game and have fun. <laughs> and I think yeah. I think that's where I'm at, at least. Yeah. And I think I've realized that when it comes to big multiplayer experiences, uh, I'm not as big of a fan as playing an RTS game that way. I think I would enjoy something like a shooter more to that um or like if if it's a game i I can only juggle so many plates at the same time so something along the lines of company heroes 2 feels a lot more better since again it's you don't have to focus on your home economy too much it's just more like okay if somebody's going to beat me it's going to be because you know they're out you know maneuvering me or something along those lines not that you know they beat me at minute 10 because they uh out microed their economy to me yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um it it, it I I don't want to get into this topic cuz this is a big topic and I feel ill equipped <laughs> to discuss it, but like I kind of feel like that's why strategy games is as a whole recently have been pushing for more single player than multiplayer. Okay. Like I feel like for the most part most strategy games that are popular today most people enjoy in a single player capacity versus a multiplayer capacity because in a multiplayer capacity you need to like really like min max and micromanage your way to victory where in a single player setting you have a lot more kind of breathing room for this i'm thinking of stuff like civilization a lot Mm -hmm. of the paradox games Mm -hmm. like i don't think i've actually ever heard you talk about playing a paradox game in multiplayer except for stellaris yeah, pretty much. Uh, I've played all those type of strategy games solo because mm-hmm. I think the solo experience uh, is honestly just nice to have. I think if you're doing a multiplayer experience, that's something specifically you have to go for and you have to make sure everybody's on the same page. And um, it's something, it's, I'm going to be honest, sometimes it's kind of a hassle to put together, especially when you're going to be doing like, okay, guys, I'm going to do this this like eight hour strategy game that that can tick on for that long and it's like a multiplayer game at that point is a commitment and i'm not really sure that's what i want all the time 
for my multiplayer games. I think if a if a game goes beyond like an hour or two, uh, it's it's a bit much. You know. Yeah, and I, I I completely get what you're saying. Where it's a hard ask to tell people like, "Hey, let's play this game of Civilization." It's going to be probably close to twenty hours total, but we're not going to do it all in one sitting. So I need to commit you to like four to six play sessions to finish this game of Civilization. It's like, who wants to do that? Like, unless that's the only game you and your friends play, like. That that seems like a tall order. Yeah, um, I mean it. It is doable. Like you, you can do like games that are like six hour sessions. You you, you kill that in a night. But I mean, like a game of Civ is probably gonna last what like anywhere between like six to twelve hours, depending on how fast everybody is going. Yeah, and I, I mean I'll be honest. I feel like most games last longer than that because people oh, are yeah. like dicking around. People are doing this, that, this, that. Yeah, not everybody's focusing a hundred percent on it. Yeah, so I, I think honestly, like for the most part, like strategy games have moved more towards a single player space because of their like long sessions. They they, yeah. they kind of require that, and I guess getting it back to Age of Empires two is is like though that's kind of a relic of the past is strategy games that you can play within like thirty minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. It's such a small scale kind of. Um, strategy game that you think about and you're like man like i don't even know how like you would design some strategy games around that unless it's like like i'm thinking of the total war games just a battle alone can take 30 minutes yeah you're right you're right um well the thing is with game if you make a game like age of empires 2 uh i feel like the biggest trouble is is that it can be hard for new players to get into and you need to have like a critical mass of people playing so that new people can get in and just not be instantly just knocked down a peg, you know, because otherwise it just gets really hard for anybody new to get into the game because they're just going to be knocked down by like all the good players. And the difference between a new player getting into a shooter and a new player getting into a uh, a strategy game is that a shoot in a shooter you can get lucky. Mm-hmm. And in a strategy game, not really. You're either going to be better or not than the other person. They could make mistakes, but there's no real way for like a a new person to have a good standing in like a middle level kind of match. Yeah. Like, um, kind of to bring it to a, a shooter that I think exemplifies that, Titanfall 2. I know you haven't played it, but mm-hmm. Titanfall 2 has a great way of making anyone at any skill level have fun with it. Mm-hmm. So at the highest level, you've got people running 100 miles an hour and doing a 360 no-scope on someone across the map. And then calling down a titan and, like, beating the shit out of everyone around them. But at the lowest level, you can still have fun because there are, like, these, these um, like, small soldiers walking around, the, walking around the battlefield that are, like, easy to kill, more or less. And they contribute mm-hmm. to the overall goal. So if you're just starting to play Titanfall 2, there's something for low-level players to do, and there's something for high-level players to do. I feel like a lot of strategy games don't have accessibility for lower level players except for single player. Like single player campaigns kind of are what fill that fill that gap or fi- or single player skirmishes even. It's just like, yeah. okay, here's an AI, you can set it to the level that you're comfortable with, go. But yeah, they are missing out on like a a whole suite of multiplayer like content. But I guess at the same time, that's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like some of it, it just comes down to, like, how, how complex is the game really? Right? Yeah. Like, I think, uh, what, what's the name of the game? Uh, not Total Annihilation, but the, the, the newest kind of iteration of that. Supreme Commander, I think it is? Or, like, Supreme Commander 2? Uh, I'm not the sure. One where you, where's the one where you can, like, launch a planet? Oh, Planetary Annihilation. Yeah, Planetary Annihilation. 
Like, I feel some games have this such huge gap between where you start and to where you end. It it can just be absolutely intimidating for anybody new to try and get into it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's, um... There are plenty of games I've started with friends where, like, the, the, the scope is so deep mm-hmm. that at a point I'm like, I, I, I'm completely, like, burnt out on this game and I've been playing it for five or ten minutes. Yeah. Um, and, that's, I, I, it, and, I mean, I hate to keep shitting on strategy games because I like them a lot, but, like, there are plenty of games where I've just been shown, like, okay, so here's, here's how you start the game. And then you can branch off into these 600 directions. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. what? Huh? What? Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah no, I, I definitely understand that. I, I feel like what has to be managed is how exactly you progress. And if you progress too abstractly, it could just all feel so o- overwhelming. I don't know if I'd agree entirely with that. I think it's more a um, a teaching mechanic. If well, that's kind of what I mean. Yeah, if a game is really bad at teaching you how to play it, mm-hmm. you're always going to feel overwhelmed because there's so much there's so much to it, and it's telling you all at the same time, like you need to learn all of this, learn all of it, and it's like I, I don't know if I can. Mm-hmm. Or at least if I am, I'm, I really need to dedicate like a lot of time to this game that I'm not sold on yet. Like, um, uh, what's it called? Um, I was just thinking, like Civilization. Civilization is mm-hmm. the perfect example. I don't know how Civilization has attracted such a wide audience because I'll be honest, that tutorial is like eating sand. It's painful. <laughs> it takes forever. It teaches you this. It, it's like it's repetitive. It's just like you're play, you're playing through it, and you're like, I'm not learning how to play this game. I'm reading an instruction manual. I got you. Yeah, hmm. that's interesting because I actually would have used Civilization as a perfect good example uh, because of how the mechanics work for it. Because since it's a game where you very gradually get more complex instead of um, the complexity is like immediately all there. Well, I guess it is a pretty complex game, but I feel like there's a lot more leeway with it because it's a turn-based game, so you actually have like time to think and yeah. sit back and like kind of like figure out what's going on instead of just everything being very instant. Yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, but if you were brand new to Civilization as a franchise, even if you had some experience with strategy games in the past, there are enough things specific to Civ that like can put up a barrier in front of you to say like, I don't know how to learn this. I'm struggling to learn this. Help. I got you. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. It's This is a topic I didn't want to get too deep into. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 it's interesting to think about kind of where strategy games are right now. Because I feel like the popularity of strategy games have gone in so many different directions at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, we have everything from the super simple tower defense games that are insanely popular on, like, phones and, um, uh, what's it called? Tablets? Uh, tablets and, yeah, phones and tablets. Um, to, like, uh, big 4X strategy games like what Paradox put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we even have strategy stuff getting mixed into shooters or RPG games. Like Dragon Age Inquisition had a whole... Uh, Dragon Age Origins and Inquisition had like this whole planning setup thing for strategy gamers that people really liked. Hmm. Um, and then on top of that, you also have management games, which is like almost a spinoff of strategy games. It's, yeah, it's, definitely, definitely in a way. That's for, that's for sure. It's kind of interesting that uh, some of the core things that we had once enjoyed uh, have all split off into better versions of themselves or expansions upon like what the genre is. Yeah, because I remember back in the day, not even back in the day. This was like only a couple of years ago. People were really talking about like, 
oh man, what happened to the RTS genre? It's dead. Like mm-hmm. thing, it's it's gone. People don't know. Be, there's no games coming out for it. Any games that come out are like, um, are like missing the mark or like they don't. They're not what I want. And I feel like the answer is just simply like RTS is not really one thing anymore. It's split off into twenty different things and whatever you're interested in. Like League of Legends exists because of uh, RTS and strategy gaming. Mm-hmm. And that spun off into its own genre. That spun off into its own genre and spun off into its own genre. Like it's, it's iterating, and it's not yeah. necessarily like somebody can come up and just make an Age of Empires two today without learning the lessons that have kind of like been taught over the last like twenty ish years. Like I think. Um, um, people were excited to see the Command and Conquer remaster come out actually recently, mm-hmm. uh, but I wonder if that's more like people interested in trying it out as like, oh, I've always heard about this game. I wonder, I wonder how it is, or if it's people who played that back in the day and are like, oh yeah, like I really, I really want to see this. What's up with this? Yeah, I mean, like I think there is a solid demand for it. Um... I, I think there's definitely a group of people that want to go for it. I mean, I'm, I know I'm personally looking forward to games like Iron Harvest that are going to be coming out. That's something I'm very much looking forward to, which is this like steampunk kind of World War One esque kind of like Company of Heroes type game. Hmm. Isn't there? Uh, isn't there supposed to be an Age of Empires four? I remember us talking about that on the show like a long, long while ago. There, there definitely is, and um, I feel like it's something I would definitely like to get because it seems uh, it seems like you can make cool cities. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look! If they release a strategy game like Age of Empires and just make it so there's a mode where you could just kind of create your own city. I would, that I wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, um, I know I very much enjoyed Age of Empires 3, which had, like, a lot of good gameplay, and I feel like that was more to what I was looking for in a strategy game. Uh, it's mostly because, like, you don't have resources that very quickly deplete and all that kind of thing, but... Uh, I feel like if they combine something that feels like Age of Empires 3, but has, like, the the polish of Age of Empires 2 to Definitive Edition, which is, like, the newest edition they have for it, I feel like that would be a really, really great-feeling game. Hmm. All right, you need to write to Mr. Microsoft and get, get them on that. <laughs> Mr. Microsoft, I want a game like this. Make it. Well, hey, we, we can all have dreams. I know uh, I've got a dream game I want to put together one day, but mm. it's all dreams. You're getting into video games now. Oh, hell, I, I have too many hobbies. I can't do that. <laughs> See, um, I'm kind of in the same boat, but I've just realized that, like, if I ever were to do that, I would be retired at that point in my life. I would not be. I would not be like where I am right now, do, making a video game. I've got too much stuff going oh, on. For sure, like there, I, I have so many things I throw myself into that I, I can only do so many different projects, and between doing the podcast and doing the D and D thing I do, and the, all the writing that I do for that, plus you know, still trying to get certain certifications for work. That's a that's a tall order right there. <laughs> I hear you. Well, the most clunky transition I can humanly make, talking about people who make content on the internet. Let's talk about. <laughs> Realize how fucking crowbarred this felt. Um, uh, the uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, creators and kind of like what space we're in right now on supporting them. It's it's something I've been toying around in my head with for a while, mm-hmm. but I kind of want to talk briefly about like 
how it's how Our it's Patreon. Kinda... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get right on that. <laughs> Look, if we get one dollar a month, we're splitting it fifty fifty. That's fair. I get fifty cents. You get. You have to PayPal me fifty cents. I don't know if PayPal will actually let you. Anyway, um, I don't know, man. Like, I kind of just want to talk about how weird, weird of a space we're in with user-created content mm-hmm. and how it's supported online. So I feel like it's I feel like it's gone through a bunch of sl- slides and changes, and we're in a weird space now. Well, back in the day, where it was like, oh yeah, a YouTube creator could kind of make money off of just making content and then getting paid AdSense on it. Mm-hmm. And now we're in a space where content needs to have ads. It needs to have a sponsorship. It needs to have a Patreon. It needs to have donations, live streams. H- how are you feeling about all this, man? Cause I'm getting, I, I, I'm, I'm a little weirded out by the whole idea. Here's the thing. I think that, the Patreon-esque method is honestly the best way for content to be supported. Uh, I think ads are nice. Um, they do allow for a lot of free content. But overall, I don't necessarily believe in the true effectiveness of uh, ads, except for maybe um, uh, Dr. Squatch, uh, you know. What? I'm sorry. I've I've just literally been I've been seeing that ad freaking everywhere, and it refuses to leave my brain. Is this one of those YouTube ads I'm too YouTube premium to see? Yeah. Uh, no, no. Um, <laughs> it's it's for like what is it like uh, men's like shaving products and soap and such. Oh yeah. And uh, I mean, unless like the advertisement is like very catchy or, or engaging. I really don't think ads work too well. Um, so I would say that having Patreons or something similar along those lines is honestly the best way to support a creator and making sure that they do get paid. And I mean, you do hear a bunch of horror stories, but how fickle like AdSense is for a bunch of creators. So if you are directly supporting that, if the audience is directly supporting said creator, then they're much more likely to be able to stand their ground on, oh, I want to put X X up, right? So that makes them more secure that way and more secure with their audience, so. Mm. Yeah, it's just strange because, like, I've been watching and existing in the online space for so long that I've seen the transition happen from like the early days of YouTube where it was just like, yeah, you know, AdSense gets me by, like make sure you subscribe and like make sure you subscribe and uh, tell your friends about the video. And these days it doesn't even like, there are lots of creators I listen to where they're past the point of like subscriptions would even help. Like, they're like, oh, like, I just want people to support my Patreon specifically and also watch my Twitch streams and donate during my Twitch streams and do this and this and this. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it's too much of a burden on the audience? I mean, honestly, yes. Uh, To me, I, I really don't like watching somebody that's just begging for money. Well, it's not even that far because, like, most most content creators I watch aren't sitting there like. 12 ad breaks in their videos and like yeah. every every minute they're pimping out their merch and doing all this but mm-hmm. it it's it's something that's never clicked like a puzzle piece for me like putting so much onus on the viewer to make the person successful like make like it's always felt like we live in a space where you almost need your viewers to be evangelicals for you to be successful. Like That's not necessarily wrong. Like, um, it's almost, I don't know. It, 
I probably should have thought out this topic a little bit more. It's mainly because I've got a bunch of like word soup kind of in my head. I'm trying to pick and choose words. Because okay, well, I don't want to come off as someone who's like against creators getting paid. Absolutely not. Like I think yeah. I think everyone should be paid fairly for what they do. But I think we're in a weird space where if you think about it, like, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, for the most part, if people if somebody got a TV deal or a movie deal or a music deal or something like that, their focus was on making the product or making or doing the service to the best of their ability. And they didn't have to worry about like continually being um, advocates for themselves or being uh, or pimping out their product or something like that. Okay, I think I get what you're getting at. It's essentially instead of the product being the product, the the person making the product is the product. Yeah, like in a way, it feels strange that like when I talk to my mom or dad about like this YouTube creator that I like. Um, I almost feel like I'm like a door-to-door Bible salesman. I'm like, oh man, you would love their stuff. Like you should really sit down and watch it because like they put up this content that's about like X, Y, Z and he goes into depth about this and this. And it's like, I'm not really describing what I like about the, about what they put out. I'm more, I'm more, I'm trying to sell the other person on it. And I feel like that's yeah. almost a byproduct of, like, the space that we're in, the, the internet space that we're in. Well, I mean, I think a pretty good example of that would be, uh, do you know Philip DeFranco, right? Yeah. Right? Like, I watch that show because it's that person leading that show and giving news and such. Mm-hmm. Not because of his format, not because of his writers, not because of really anything else that's about the show it's because he has given himself a personality in which i personally enjoy and hearing the news from yeah so i mean it kind of comes down to where uh, you kind of do have to sell your persona kind of deal where it's it's very rarely that i'm watching something and it's because i think the format is really good or the the quality of the show itself is beyond the pale though i i do have a bunch of things i do for that it, it's very persona driven like one i have would be uh oh you know what we have a pretty good example of that the template institute right mm. yeah yeah i know Continue. you were saying that they changed up the the speakers and you're enjoying that less oh um kind of yes um I don't know. I feel like that might be a deeper issue than just like, oh, they changed narrators. I don't like the new guy. I think it's just more like uh, I don't fully know, honestly. I'd really have to think about what like maybe changed about their channel in particular. Okay, but we can, I do. We can, I, we can we can swing on back to that again. But yeah, you're, I, you're I, talking I, about monetization, though. That's that's what you really want to go into, right? Yeah, absolutely. And they're kind of a good example because they have a Patreon that supports them. They're also supported by ads on YouTube. Um, I believe they've done sponsorship deals with like game companies. On top of that, uh, they have live streams where people donate. Mm -hmm. Um, It's 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 strange just because like I guess in a way because we enjoy a personality so much. Mm-hmm. we kind of have to prop them up to make them successful because the, just putting out quality content isn't enough on the internet anymore. Like putting out a quality product um, on the internet is not enough to keep the lights on or pay rent. It, you have to seek out other sources of income to keep the ball rolling. Um like there are some there are some creators that I think do it very well where it's just like yeah they put out a product and they have a Patreon for it and they get paid from the Patreon when they put out the product and that's kind of how it goes. But I feel like in a way that like if if you're monetizing your audience, is there a point where you're you're asking too much from them? 
Yeah, I think that's pretty fair, um, especially since a, a few creators kind of blur the line between what is audience and they kind of treat try to treat them more as friends, if you mm -hmm. will. Yeah, like a family kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I can say that I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable when things go to that level. Yeah, and I've had I've had YouTube creators that I really like do that before, and it's it's not something that's going to make me stop watching them. But I definitely do get worrisome when. What is your specific fear? I... Parasocial relationships, but that's <laughs> as that is a deep well. I'm not willing to jump in. If I was not ready to jump into talking about RTS and strategy games, I'm certainly not willing to talk about parasocial relationships in um in the next ten to fifteen minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I totally am not ready to pair. <laughs> You're uh, just making a mental note. That's all. Yeah. I yes. but but like I I I kind of like. Oh. Okay, so I'll give a brief. I'll give a brief summary for the audience. So parasocial relationships is, um, essentially fostering a relationship with your audience in a way that makes them feel like you're their friend or you care about them in particular um, and turning it into a really kind of toxic relationship from there. Not, not in a way of like manipulating one specific person, but um, coming you're on. Lovelies. Yeah. 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 Coming, coming onto your YouTube channel and saying like, Oh man, I can't believe this. Um, this this YouTuber said something really nasty about me. I can't believe they would do that. Uh, you should go send all the hate you can their way. That's an example of like you um, having your audience at a point that you can just tell them to go hate someone and they will. Or um, for example, like. Oh man, YouTube took away all of my revenue. I'm not going to be able to keep producing videos, guys, unless you keep giving me money. Like it's it it becomes a way of of manipulating your audience into them thinking you're friends with them and having easier access to manipulate them because of that. Yeah. That's kind of the idea behind saying. it. Yeah. And that's kind of, I guess, the worry I want to get to with supporting creators you like. Mm -hmm. Because so what is too far? Is that what you're asking? Like, what is the appropriate amount of support you should give somebody? If yeah. You really like their content? Yeah, because I'll use me as an example. Instead of impressing all these vague ideas that I feel like I'm doing, I'm just going to talk about me. So for me, if I want to support a creator on YouTube... Um, let's say it's, it's, um, let's say it's, uh, YouTube channel X. It just general, like some YouTube channel out there. Well, I pay for YouTube premium. So a portion of that subscription goes to them every month, depending on how much they watch. So they're getting paid somewhat that way. I also feel comfortable giving money to creators that I really like through Patreon. Um, and I'm perfectly fine with going there and saying, like, yeah, I'm going to give you a couple of bucks a month to help you pay for whatever, whatever. And then we start getting into stuff that I'm a little bit less comfortable doing. So, for example, you, YouTubers these days who are like, make sure you um, like, comment, and subscribe on a video. That's always been a meme kind of on YouTube, but essentially you're telling your audience... I don't, I don't care if you liked this. You need to engage with my media so other people will see it. If you comment on the video, that boosts it in the YouTube algorithm. So make sure you comment on this and it will, it will be seen by more people. Um, I, think I, I think I get, I see what you're saying here. It's kind of like, uh, I, don't, I don't see necessarily anything wrong with that though. No, and I'm, right. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying it's starting to get into manipulating the system territory. It's starting I mean, to get into, like, 
hey, audience, I know you like me. So do this thing to manipulate the YouTube system to make more people see me. I see what you're saying with that. But I would say that is literally everything, though. I I don't think there's really anything that you can look at where you're not trying to manipulate the system in some sort of way, you know? And that's that's just kind of what comes with the YouTube territory, that you kind of have to do that if you want to be successful. You have to have your audience have engagement with your material. Otherwise, it's very hard for you to get well seen on YouTube and it's very hard to be able to uh, I guess get anywhere with your content because unless people are seeing it unless people are engaging with it you know YouTube's not gonna be like oh well we don't want to put our our space up for these people that aren't getting any traction yeah I guess I I guess part of the issue I'm coming up I'm rubbing up against is I kind of want to be in a space where good work is promoted positively mm-hmm. and it's not just promoted because I like this person no matter what they put out mm-hmm. like there's a couple of YouTube creators I watch that are fairly lazy content and I'm, I'm not like calling somebody out by saying that I'm just saying like There are some YouTube creators I watch which create these video essays or documentaries that are fairly lengthy, well-researched. They talk about a topic at length, talk about the different aspects of it. And I feel like that's content worth talking about sharing and liking and and boosting up in the YouTube algorithm. And then there's YouTube channels that talk about gaming news that just kind of look at a press release and then just throw out their editorial on it and that's about it and it's usually like but it's usually videos that are 10 minutes in one second and they're the ones who are like ah make sure you make sure you tell us in the comments what you liked and make sure you like the video and ring that bell and subscribe and check out our merch store i'm like okay guys (laughs) how how much do i have to do how much effort do i put out there to support you guys because even though i like your content you're asking a tall order for the content yeah. you make. Yeah, no. I, I, I would say that just watching it with YouTube Red is good enough. I, I think for most users, that's good enough. Even like if you're not watching it with YouTube Red, just watching it uh, with AdBlocker not on yeah. is good. I mean, How? I don't think it, there's a huge like imperative to be like, go out and support somebody. Unless, like, you think that this person really needs it. Because there's certain people whom I wouldn't give money towards because I already know they have a very strong Patreon. Yeah. So it's like, well, I don't need to give this person any money kind of deal. So it's like, oh, well, they're just going to keep releasing stuff and I don't really feel the moral imperative to, you know, really pay extra for towards it. Because I already support it in some sort of way with YouTube Red, so I, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I guess a question I wanted to ask you was, how do you feel like supporting creators that you like? Like I've kind of gone over like how how I think of mm-hmm. content on the internet, and it's basically like pay for what you like, give people mm-hmm. money for what you really enjoy. How, how do you how do you kind of go about that? Honestly, the only way I really do it is through my YouTube Red subscription. I don't really do more than that. Mm. I don't really support anybody on Patreon. I I either buy my stuff outright or I don't. Like, I, I don't really do Patreon subscriptions. I don't do... I mean, if there's if there's somebody's content I really enjoy, I'll, I'll tell people about it. But I don't think I'm like a diehard, really anything for any content creator. I have like a huge, huge collection of YouTube people that I watch. I have like over 150 subscriptions on YouTube. So like I definitely use the service a lot. But I don't I don't ever feel the moral imperative to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to start donating to you on Patreon or anything along those lines. Uh, to me, it 
you should be able to get to that critical mass if your content's good enough so that ad revenue or you get enough people on Patreon to support you kind of deal. There are certain people that I would donate to if I felt that I was more financially stable. And I mean, I'm relatively financial stable, so I'll just admit that right there. But I don't feel good doing that when I still have student loans. Oh, you of know course. what I mean? Of course, yeah. This isn't this isn't a, this isn't like me saying like, well, Anthony, you're a freeloader because you're not paying for the content that you want to watch. No, it's 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 me kind of asking seeing a barometer where people are comfortable. Because I feel like most people would agree that like um, support support creators that you like, support artists that you like because um, if they're putting out a product that you enjoy, you should be giving them some kind of support. But I just I guess want to see I guess I want to see like where's the barometer for some people on that. Yeah, like, I think that's that's pretty fair to ask. Because because um, to, to me it would be financial. It would be hey, I'm gonna throw you a couple of bucks a month. And that'll support, and that'll that'll continue to bring the content that I really enjoy, because otherwise the content would not would not be here. But um, there are plenty of people who just like uh, do not want, um, do not have the means to support people financially, and I'm interested to see like kind of where their headspace is for that. So tell yeah. us in the comments of this podcast what you thought about it. Make sure you give us a like and a subscribe. <laughs> follow, I think, follows the thing on SoundCloud. <laughs> yeah, do, do that. Do the thing. Do the thing. Yeah. Do it. Throw money at me. Do it. No, not the quarters. Ow. Throw money. Ow! <laughs> <laughs> Soft money. Soft money. <laughs> Checks and or money orders. <laughs> yeah, it it's something I mull around in my brain sometimes as to where we are kind of supporting creators and where's that line. And yeah, I, 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 I like talking to people about what they how they support the people they like on an online space.